following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. All right. This morning we'll be looking uh, uh, at uh, Matthew chapter 22, which is not technically about the resurrection of Jesus, but it is about the resurrection. Uh, so we're going to read uh, Matthew 22 and then also jump over to 1 Corinthians 15. So if you want to follow as we read. Uh, the, same day, uh, the same day, Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, and having no children, left his wife to his brother. So to the second and third, down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. But Jesus answered them, You are wrong, because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. And jumping over to 1 Corinthians 15. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom, uh, that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, if in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Uh, I wanted to um, kind of jump back in, into Matthew 22. And, uh, it, you know, traditionally we would talk about the empty tomb. Um, uh, but I want to talk a little bit more about the, just the whole idea of the resurrection. And as Paul argues in 1 Corinthians, uh, the certainty of Jesus' uh, resurrection has huge implications for our own uh, life after death and our own resurrection. And this really is the one thing, the resurrection, uh, and the idea of the resurrection is the one thing that makes Christianity truly unique from every other religion. Uh, it is our great distinctive, and this really is, in many ways, our, our greatest holiday that we celebrate, Easter. Uh, some would make an argument for Christmas. Um, they're both up there, right? Both super important. Uh, but uh, the resurrection is really very unique to Christianity and to our faith. 
Now, of course, many other religions believe in, in an afterlife or reincarnation, or, or even uh, other religions do believe in the resurrection of the dead and look forward to that. But really, Christianity alone celebrates our Savior as one who has been resurrected as a past historical fact and event. Like, no other religion can do that, right? Jesus is the only one who's celebrated anywhere as one who's already been raised from the dead. Right? So it's very unique. Um, and, and as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, our whole faith depends on this truth. And he says, you know, if Jesus didn't, if, basically he says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you are all just deluded, uh, confused people. Uh, you have no salvation, You're, you are dead in your sins, and when you die, you will perish, right? Our whole hope rests on this one event that Jesus, in fact, rose from the dead. Uh, so there's a lot at stake here, right? For us, this is not a side doctrine, you know. This is not something that we could maybe disagree that it happened or didn't happen. For Christians, this is it. Like, this is the most significant doctrine that our whole faith hinges on. And so we've got a lot at stake in, in the truth and reality of the resurrection. So how do we know it's true? Um, how, do we, how can we be so convinced? Uh, and I'll tell you one, one way I, I'm convinced. Hearing you guys sing this morning, that was pretty convincing for me. That was awesome. Uh, thanks for worshiping God and worshiping the risen Savior. Right? Uh, but how do we know? How do we, how do we have this conviction? And, and, and maybe, uh, you know, maybe we do have doubts at times. So how do we strengthen our faith? How do we become more convinced in this core teaching of the Christian faith? And beyond that, how do we share this conviction with others who don't believe it? Right? How do we share with them the truth of the resurrection? How do we, in a sense, prove it to them that Jesus really rose from the dead? What can we say to those who are skeptics or critics? Um, well, uh, uh, it makes a difference in uh, all the difference in the world that we believe this truth, and um, and, and, and the Sadducees are a great example of why this is so important, and and why getting it wrong is so dangerous. And so we would jump back into Matthew 22, uh, and uh, it's a section in Matthew we started looking at where uh, there's three sets of questions that uh, that are brought to Jesus to challenge him and to make him look stupid or to uh, convict him of something, some error that they could arrest him for. And so the Sadducees are the second group who come. And so in Matthew 23, 20, 22, verse 23, we see this group of Sadducees coming uh, to uh, ask Jesus a question. And they're really raising the question of this whole idea of life after death. And, and it tells us right off the bat, this, the same day the Sadducees came to, to him, to Jesus, and they say there's no resurrection and that's really an understatement because the Sadducees not only did not believe in a resurrection, they actually didn't even believe in, in the afterlife. Right? They believed in no life after death at all. Um, and and uh, the Sadducees are not a position or it's not an office that, that they held. It's much like the Pharisees is a religious or doctrinal way of thinking. And they kind of were the other camps. So you got the Pharisees who kind of believe one way, and you got the Sadducees who have the set of beliefs. And their set of beliefs focused on this idea that, um, yeah, God created the world, but then uh, he kind of set it up to run on its own, and, and God has gone away, and he's far off. And he really doesn't have a lot to do with us anymore. 
And uh, we live our little lives here on earth, and we die, and poof, it's over. It's done. And there's no resurrection. There's no life beyond the grave. And all that really matters is the here and now. Uh, the grave is the final resting place, and uh, both body and soul perish or cease to exist in death. And that's what the Sadducees believed. Um, and uh, their their question, uh, they ask about this guy who this lady, poor this poor lady who had to endure seven husbands, right? And and they all died, and um, and uh, they the the fact that even the way they ask the question is proof that they really haven't thought much about this, right? They haven't thought a lot about what heaven or the afterlife must be like. And they can only conceive of it or think of it in terms of this earth and this life here and now. Um, and so they come asking this question, not because they really want to know the answer, not because they're struggling with this. They really come asking the question because they think this whole idea of resurrection and afterlife is, is ridiculous. And the question is really very mocking. And their, their, their scenario that they paint is intended to show how really ridiculous this idea is, right? And granted, their their scenario, as they see it, it is kind of ridiculous. And they're saying, look, you know, if there really is an afterlife and there really is a resurrection, just imagine the problems it's going to create when we get to the other side. Like this poor woman um, ends up in eternity with seven husbands forever. Like most women are, would probably tell you one was enough, right? Like, that's good, <laughs> Let's hope they say that's good. Um, but like one was plenty. Seven, right? And now you're stuck with them for all of eternity. Um, uh, and, and, and then you've got seven brothers, right, who have to share one wife, which actually would have been a violation of God's laws. Like, interestingly enough, a, wife could ha- a husband could have more than one wife. But they really look down as this is, this is sin for uh, a wife to have more than one husband uh, who is living. Right, and so they see this whole thing as just absurd, as ridiculous. And this ex- this illustration, this example, uh, shows what a disaster it would be uh, if the resurrection were true. And and so their question is really intended to just show uh, Jesus as being kind of a, a ridiculous teacher who would be so foolish to believe in something this ridiculous, right? Um, and, and honestly, uh, the Sadducees actually have a lot in common with uh, modern thinking, right? Uh, all around us are people who, who would identify with the, the Sadducees, maybe not in all of their theology, but who would, who would say, hey, I think that's right. Um, uh, this idea of, of afterlife, of death, of, of going beyond the grave and still continuing on just seems so uh, absurd. And so uh, impossible to believe in. Um, uh, the, the, the Sadducees did believe there was a God, but they believed that God didn't really matter. Right? It really came down to our own human choices and decisions to make life work out because God was far off. And, and that's true for a lot of people in the world today. Maybe they believe there is no God. Right? They believe uh, God doesn't exist. Or if he does exist, it really doesn't matter because he's far away, and he is not at all involved in everyday life. He's not involved in the affairs of this world and of our, our existence. Uh, and so the focus becomes uh, here and now. All that really matters is today. 
all that really matters is what I can make of my life right here and now. Um, if life is good now, then, then you're good, right? And if life is not good, it's up to you to make it better. Or maybe it's up to society and government to fix the world's problems because God is not going to help you out, right? And, and when life ends, it ends, and, and that's, that's all there is, right? That's all there is. Uh, that's true of how a lot of people think today. Um, and so how do you answer someone like this? How, how does Jesus a- a answer these Sadducees, and what does he tell them? Uh, what, what should we tell people as we share Christ, and they say, I just, I just don't really believe in God, or I don't, I don't think he matters, you know, I've never seen him, and, and, uh, and, and I just can't believe, you know, that there's more to this life. I, I'm just worried about here and now. I'm worried about today. So how do we answer them? Uh, how do we make our case? What evidence can we put forward that would convince them that the Bible's true and that Jesus rose again and that someday we will rise and, and we will live for eternity? What can we say? Well, it's really interesting when you look at this, what Jesus could have said and did not say. Okay, like if I was Jesus and, I, and, and the Sadducees asked me this question, I have a lot better answers, right? I think Jesus missed some really good opportunities here to make a good point, right? So here's some of my examples. Here's how I would have done this. I would have said, hello, uh, didn't you hear the news that just a few days ago I raised Lazarus from the dead? By the way, he'd been in the tomb four days, and there are hundreds of witnesses who saw it, right? Go ask them. In fact, uh, Lazarus actually lived very close to Jerusalem, and, and uh, some people think that Jesus was actually uh, going in the evenings and spending and staying with Lazarus, it's very likely impossible that Lazarus is in the crowd. Like he could have marched him up and said, hey, look, proof number one, exhibit A, right here. Uh, Lazarus, have you died before? Uh, yeah, all right. How'd that go for you? Oh, it was terrible, right? But you're here now, what happened? Oh, I rose from the dead, right? Ah, there you go. Proof, right? Why doesn't Jesus do that? Like, there's living proof right, right here. He doesn't do that, right? Or he could have said, hey, you know, just a, mo- a few months back, I was hanging out on top of a mountain with my friends, Peter, James, and John, and lo and behold, what do you know ha- happened? Moses and Elijah showed up. And I was just chilling on the mountain with Moses and Elijah, and I'm telling you, they were, they were very alive. And we were talking, we were having conversation, and Peter, James, and John are witnesses. They saw it. Go ask them. They're right here. Ask them. I am not lying. This is, this is the truth, right? Uh, Moses is, is still alive. And, and I saw him with my own eyes, right? But Jesus doesn't say that either, right? Best of all, like, like, like Jesus, you know, he's God. He's got connections. He's got really connections in really high places. Like, why didn't Jesus just call Moses down right then and there? Like, I think that would have been so cool, just like, poof, Moses just shows up right here. And he says, I don't, why don't you just ask Moses, you know? Don't ask me about the whole resurrection. You just ask Moses, right? Which, by the way, the Sadducees, uh, they believed in the Bible, but they only believed in the first five books, the Pentateuch, uh, written by Moses. They, they basically rejected the whole rest of the Bible, right? So it kind of limited their vision quite a bit. But I think it would have been just so fun. Just like, well, just ask Moses. Oh, oh, Moses, you're still alive. What do you know? Well, what do you know, right? But Jesus doesn't do that. Like, Jesus, what are you thinking? 
right? Here's your chance to really prove that there's an afterlife, like convincing evidence. So why doesn't Jesus do that? Why doesn't he uh, give them proof that is undeniable? Well, I think there's two problems. And the first problem is this. All of those, all of those proofs, whether it's Lazarus or it's you know, Moses and Elijah on the mountain or even making Moses appear right then and there, all of those proofs depend on the reliability of our own human experience and perception. Right? Uh, they would have had to believe uh, the witness of Jesus or the witness of those who saw Lazarus raised from the dead or the witness of Peter, James, and John. And the question is, how reliable, how trustworthy is human experience and perception? Like, is it, is it um, what's the word, uh, 100% foolproof, right? There's another word for that. It's escaping me at the moment. Uh, uh, can we count on people's perceptions, Right? Even our own perceptions, right? Can, can we trust our own experiences and, perce- and perceptions as being 100% credible? Because um, even if the Sadducees saw it with their own eyes, they would have to trust what they saw. And it would be very, very possible that, uh, that if they saw it, they would say, wow, that was a cool trick. Like Jesus is a really good magician, right? Because he, he made it look like that was Moses, like, I don't know how he did that, but that was a cool trick, right? Um, and think about it. We, even if we saw it, like even if we were there and we saw Moses, uh, we think, well, I would be convinced, right? But the reality is we could walk away from that experience thinking, I'm not sure I really saw what I thought I saw, right? I'm not really sure that, um, uh, that it wasn't just a trick, that it wasn't just some optical illusion, Right, um, but there's a greater problem than that. A greater problem than just our perceptions, which which are flawed and which are not 100% accurate. And the greater problem is this: it's not just that they had a hard time believing in the afterlife. The real issue is that they did not want to believe in the afterlife. Right? That was really what was going on here. They had made clear choices in their life that they did not want to believe that life continued after the grave. Um, There were good reasons for them to not believe it. Uh, And it was to their advantage to reject the resurrection. It's interesting, when we study about the Sadducees, we find that they were almost exclusively 100% from the elite, wealthy, ruling class in Jerusalem. These were people who had power and a lot of money, and made life miserable for everybody else, right? Uh, and life was good for them. It's interesting that poor people didn't adopt their philosophy, right? Because uh, for poor people, life, life here and now is not good. And their hope was that things would get better, that the next life would be an improvement. But for people who are so wealthy and so powerful and have it all, they couldn't imagine things would get any better. Right? So for them, an afterlife posed the challenge of actually a downgrade. Right? Uh, and on top of that, if there is an afterlife, um, it, it means that, that they would have to stand before God and give an answer for their life here and now. Right? God might ask questions. Hey, I noticed you had a lot of money. I noticed you were filthy rich. 
And I also noticed that you never once shared one breadcrumb with your poor neighbor. Uh, could you explain that to me right now? Right? And those guys did not want to have to give an answer for their life to God. Right? It was, it was uh, to their advantage to believe that life ended at death. Right? And that they could live however they wanted here and now and would never have to give an answer or an explanation for the way that they lived. Um, see, the problem is, is ultimately not one of proofs or evidence. The problem is ultimately one of choosing a belief system we can live with. Right? It's a choice. We choose what we believe, and we choose it in line with what uh, we feel good about. Uh, if there's a God in heaven who created us, and if there is life after death, then we know that one day we will have to stand before him. If we really believe that's true, that is an incredible and awesome responsibility. How will we give an answer for our life? How will we give an answer and an explanation for the way we have lived and the way we have treated other people to the eternal God of creation? Um, and see, see, the reality is that if we believe in an afterlife, if we believe in the resurrection, then it means I, I have to change the way I'm living here and now. And the truth is that for many people, it's much easier to change what we believe than to change how we live. It's much easier to change how I believe than to change how I live. And that's exactly what the Sadducees did. They chose a belief system that made them feel good about their life here and now and didn't put pressure on them to change anything. Right? And you see, that is the real problem for most people. The real problem is not that they need more proof or more evidence. The proof is that they have chosen a belief system that fits well with their current lifestyle. And that's why Jesus doesn't call up Moses to answer their question. Because in the end, it really wouldn't have worked. Right? They had already made up their mind what they wanted to believe. Uh, and uh, as they say, all the facts in the world are not going to change their mind. Right? Uh, there were other reasons why they held on to this uh, belief system. And we need to keep this in mind as we share Christ with, uh, with, with those who don't believe. Right? Uh, the temptation is, and I remember back in my very young, zealous days when I was going to lead everybody to Christ. Right? And I thought the goal was for me to go out and with my superior intellect and my superior ability to argue things and debate, I was going to convince them that Jesus was for real and the Bible was true and he really rose from the dead. And um, once I defeated all of their arguments, they would be convinced. How many people do you think I led to Christ that way? Uh, none, right? I, I made people angry, though. That was good. Uh, but I didn't really bring people to Christ because it doesn't work that way. Uh, the truth is, uh, uh, we cannot prove there is life after death, right? Uh, or that Jesus rose from the dead or that we will one day be resurrected and stand before God. And by the way, the other side can't prove that it doesn't happen, right? Uh, if you don't believe there's a God, if you don't believe there's life after death, and if you don't believe in the resurrection, you can't prove that either, right? Because it's beyond the scope and realm of, of this life, 
right? We can prove things in this lifespan here on this earth, but we cannot prove what takes place beyond the grave because uh, um, it's beyond our grasp, right? Uh, so what do we say to them? How do we help them? Um, well, Jesus' reply, I think, is very helpful and instructive for us. Right? What does Jesus say to them? Uh, what, what he tells us, the Sadducees, is what you, what you need is not more evidence or proof. What you need and what's wrong in your life is you lack knowledge. Right? You lack knowledge. Notice what he says in verse 29. Jesus answered them, You are wrong. <laughs> I love that. Uh, Jesus is not um, doubtful about his position, and he, he tells the Sadducees straight out, you're wrong, because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. Right? Your problem is a lack of knowledge, and specifically a lack of knowledge in Scripture and the power of God. The word wrong literally means you, you have been led astray, or you have wandered far off the path of truth, and you are, you are lost out in a wilderness of confusion because you lack sufficient knowledge of the Word. Not because you lack sufficient proof. But you lack sufficient knowledge of the Word. And he says two specific things that they need, to, they need to know. First, you need to know the Scriptures. He says you're wrong because you do not know the Scriptures, the Word of God. Uh, as I said, the scriptures, uh, the Sadducees did believe in the Bible, but they only held to the first five books, um, written by Moses, the Pentateuch. Um, and and so it's interesting that Jesus, a little bit later, when he gives his answer, he quotes Exodus chapter three verse six. So he teaches them, he speaks to them from where they start with the the Pentateuch. Um, but what's interesting is is even though they rejected the rest of the Old Testament, the fact is they really didn't even know. The scriptures they claim to hold on to. So the scriptures they, they claim to believe in, they really didn't know. Right? It hadn't really sunk in and made a deep impression upon them. Um, he says, you need, you need to know better the Bible. So how can that help us? Right? Um, and here's kind of a dilemma. If you say to people, well, you don't believe in the resurrection, what you need is you just need to know the Bible better. Well, for a lot of people, they're going to be like, well, I don't, why should I know the Bible, right? Why should I pay attention to the Bible? Why not the Quran or some other religious book? What's so special about the Bible? Uh, but Jesus points them to Scripture. So how is it that the Bible can really be more convincing than my own personal experience? Which, by the way, if you doubt that, if you doubt that this is what Jesus believed, uh, several times in the Gospel accounts, right, when Jesus appeared to them, and my favorite one is the, the guys on the road, uh, uh, road to, that's the one, right? Um, Jesus appears, and, and they're actually with him. So they're walking with the resurrected Jesus, right? And he doesn't say, hey, look at my nail-scarred hands. Look at my nail-pierced side. Look, I'm Jesus, right? No, he doesn't do that. What does he do? He explains to them from the scriptures how it was necessary for the Messiah to to be crucified, and three days later to rise again. Right? He convinces them not from his own, hey, look, I'm here, but from Scripture. Right? He's a Scripture. Um, so, so, uh, so, so is it true, though, that the Bible can be more 
convincing than my own personal experience. Right? And we live in a time and an age where, where personal experience and our personal feelings really reign and rule as our absolute source of truth. Like that's how most of us choose what we believe. Well, it feels right. Well, it's my gut instinct. Well, I like it. Right? That tends to be our, our, where we root uh, our convictions and our beliefs. But, but here's the thing. Our, 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 our experiences and perceptions, are they infallible? That was the word I was looking for. Are they infallible? It means, are they really without any error or confusion or misunderstanding? Okay, how many of you think that? How many think my, my, my perceptions are absolutely 100% true? Anybody want to say that? Because nobody's going to embarrass But you, you, you believe it, right? You, you won't raise your hand. But here's the thing. How many of you have had this experience where you and your husband or your wife or your close friend uh, went and you experienced some event together, and afterwards you're talking about that event, and you, the two of you cannot agree on what happened? Right? Denise and I have this conversation only about five times a day, right? Because <laughs> I don't think we ever experience anything the same, right? We're constantly saying, well, that's not what happened. No, that's not what I said. That's what you said. That's not how it was, right? Okay, who's right? Well, of course I'm right. You know that? So don't tell her. Right? See, our, our perceptions and our experiences are not that accurate. They're not that reliable. Right? That's just one example. Uh, we are not infallible. We are not without error in our perceptions. But God's word is. You say, well, how do you know that? Right? How do you know God's word is without error? How do we know we can trust it to be without mistakes? Uh, it's interesting what Jesus says to them. A little bit later, jump down to verse 31. Uh, he says, uh, he's going he's to kind of explain their misunderstanding about the resurrection. He says, and as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? And then he quotes Exodus, or he references Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. But I love what, how Jesus phrases this. He doesn't just say, haven't you read what was written in, in Exodus 3, verse 6? No, he says this. He says, have you not read what God said to you through those words? And here's the reality. Uh, if there is a God, and he's a God who is powerful enough to create the universe and to make us, and to make us as people who could be in a relationship with him, then he is certainly big enough and powerful enough to figure out how to communicate to us his heart, his message, and his words. right? And to, and to make sure and oversee that it was recorded and written down so that the Bible really is his message from his heart and mind to us. Right? So that makes this book... It's an incredibly powerful book, right? It is God's word to us, right? You might say, well, you know, he wrote, Moses wrote it, other people wrote it. They were writing to Israelites a long, long time ago. That's all true. But it is also God's revelation, his message from his own heart and mind to us directly, right? Uh, And God oversees it. He oversees his word, and he made sure it accurately communicates uh, his message to us. Now, either that's true or Jesus was really confused. Now, it's possible Jesus didn't know what he was talking about, right? Uh, 
And then the whole thing falls apart. But here's the thing. If Jesus really rose from the dead, I think he knew what he was talking about. right? I think he knew. And he says, no, this word is, is more reliable than even your own vision, your own perception, your own experiences. It's without error, right? So he says to them, you need to know what this word says. You need to count on it. You need to understand it. Because it's not enough that God spoke it to you. It's vitally important that you know what it means. That you read it and you seek to understand its meaning. And of course, the Sadducees had read the scriptures, but they really didn't bother to delve into it to understand its meaning. Right? So he says first, you need to know the word. And through that, through the word, through what God has revealed about himself, you need to know the power of God. Right? You are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. And we come to know and understand this power of God through our study of the word. And the word reveals clearly that God created the universe uh, with spoken word, which is a mind-boggling thing. Right? Billions and billions of galaxies out there that God spoke into being. And God is eternal and all-powerful. God is transcendent. That means he lives outside of this universe. He's greater than it. He's not part of creation. He's beyond it. Uh, and he made us, uh, and he gave us life. Right? Um, God is the source and origin of life. Uh, I love, as good as science is, and as good and, and helpful as science is in creating vaccines that make us Resistant to COVID, I'm thankful for that, right? But uh, science and all of its brilliance cannot explain life. Right? They cannot explain where life comes from. And they can talk to you all day about how life changes and how things transform and adapt. But there's not one single explanation for where life came from to start with. Right? Um, it's because it came from God. Right? He is the source and origin of life. And so if God is the source and origin of life, uh, life is not limited to this universe. Right? Life is something that God possesses far beyond this world and this life, this universe, this world. And so uh, life for us can continue on because he is the source of life. But here's the thing. Uh, through the study of the word, we come to know who God is. We come to know what he is like. But it will challenge and convict us. And the reality is maybe we don't really want to know what the Bible says. right? Maybe we avoid Scripture, or maybe we only pick out pieces of it we like. right? Oh uh, yeah, that whole Jeremiah, uh, skip that one. Let's read 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. I like that one. We just pick and choose the things we like because we don't want the Bible to actually challenge us or convict us. We don't really want to know what it says because we're not really willing to submit our lives to its authority. See, the thing is, once we come to know the word and we come to know the power of God, uh, it will challenge us to change the way we live. And as I said with the Sadducees, the truth is it is easier to change our beliefs than to change our life. And so if we really want to know God, if we really want to know the power of God, we have to be willing to surrender our life to its teaching. And that, I believe, is the real issue. Right? That's what keeps people from really believing and knowing God. Because they're unwilling to bring their whole life under its authority. 
because they're unwilling to know that someday they will stand before God and have to give an answer for their life. Right? That's, that's too much. I think I'll just believe something different. Right? And through this, Jesus, his, his answer is, is simply two things. He says, you need, to re, you need to understand better the nature of the resurrection. You guys are really confused about the nature of the resurrection. And he says, well, simply, in the resurrection, there will be neither marriage nor being given in marriage, but we will be like angels in heaven. Okay, things are going to be different in heaven. We will be resurrected, we will have new bodies, we will have a new life, but it will be different than life on this earth. We will be eternal beings, and we won't need to uh, procreate. We won't need to have children. Right? Basically, my translation, Jesus says, in heaven you won't make babies. Right? Okay, maybe not as holy sounding, but I think that's what he's saying here. Right? And so the, the need for family units where we raise up children that's so important in this life will not be true in the next life. Right? And for some people, that's like a serious downgrade. They're like, oh, but I love my family. Um, I promise you, heaven's going to be an upgrade, right? It's not because there will be less intimacy or love or connection or family, but actually there will be infinitely more, infinitely more. We won't be limited and restricted to just a handful of those kind of close, intimate relationships, right? We will be able to have close, truly intimate uh, and connected relationships with, um, with everybody, right? And it will be so different, so much better. Uh, lastly, he says, uh, you need to understand better the very nature of God. He says, and as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the living. Right? There's kind of two parts of this argument. One, uh, God is in the present tense all at the same time, the, the God of those three guys. Uh, father, son, and grandson, who did not all live at the same time. Right? So by the time Jacob was born, um, Abraham had died. And he says, but God is concurrently the God of both. God can't be the God of the, the dead. He can only be the God of the living. But actually, Jesus' answer is more than that. Right? It's not just about verb tense, but it's really about the very nature of who God is. Okay, he says, look, God is an eternal God. And God made a, a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And would God make a, a covenant, a, a covenant relationship, enter into a promise with these people that he knew were only going to live a hundred and some years and then die? If that's true, then God actually broke his promise to Abraham because Abraham never saw the promise fulfilled. And actually God would be a liar, right? Because he made promises he didn't keep. He says, no, that's not the way God is. God is an eternal God, and he makes eternal covenants and promises with, the, with those people. And he did fulfill them, right? Because they still live. They're still living. Um, do you think that the Sadducees were convinced? Uh, maybe not. Maybe not. If you share Christ with somebody and you say, you know, you just got to really get in the Bible more, and you got to really understand the nature of God, who created the universe and the world and who made you and sent Jesus to be your Savior and to die for your sins so you could have eternal life with him, do you think they're necessarily going to believe? No, maybe not, right? But it's not up to you to convince them. It's up for us to offer them the path. 
and the path of Scripture. Like, if you really want to know, if you're serious about knowing the truth, like, here's the answer. Get in Scripture. Read the Bible, and it will convince you. It will convince you. It will show you the way. And you will come to a point where you will know it's true through the revelation of God and his spirit in your heart and life and mind, right? Um, and the same is true for us, right? Uh, and I just want to close with this last thought. Are we planning ahead? Like, are we really planning for our future? The Sadducees, they didn't want to think about the future, right? And so they did not plan for it. They were just happy on the boat they were in, right? And... and um, it just reminds me of the Titanic, right? Titanic, in its day, the most beautiful, impressive, high-tech ship that had ever been built. And uh, they, they loved their ship, right? And they were convinced that that ship could not sink, right? And, and they couldn't even imagine that it could go down on its maiden voyage and sink to the bottom of the sea, right? And so they didn't plan ahead adequately uh, with things like, uh, enough life rafts uh, to to take all the passengers in the event that the ship would sink. And so what happened because they didn't plan ahead? Well, out of the 2,200-some passengers and crew, over 1,500 people died. Right, Well more than half died because they did not plan for the inevitable destruction that came upon it. Right? Are we planning ahead? Are we living life in this world with the deep conviction that I'm going to give an answer in the next? That Am I really living my life today in a way that I'm ready to stand before God and explain my life? And praise God, the, the explanation we need more than anything is this. Hey, my life is a mess, but I'm in Jesus. <laughs> I'm a mess, but Jesus has covered me with his blood as we celebrated this morning. Right? I, I, I don't always do things right, but Jesus has forgiven me. And Jesus rose again. And I come and stand before God in the resurrected life of Christ. And the good news is that when we stand before God in judgment, if we put our faith in Christ and, 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 and God the Father, God the Judge says, what, what do you have to say for yourself? And uh, Jesus is going to be right there. And I'm going to say, ask Jesus, right? Let him explain my life. And Jesus will answer for us, the resurrected Savior. And if we put our trust in him, let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.